First Timothy chapter 1, I'll read one verse and then we'll just kind of read a few verses here and make a few comments and just give you a little bit of a Bible study. First Timothy 1 and verse 10, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and here's my phrase, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. We've often said that many of the New Testament epistles, especially the Pauline epistles, divide very neatly between doctrine and duty. For example, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, 2, and 3 is heavy doctrine. Chapter 4, 5, and 6, it is duty. Doctrine is what we learn, is what we know. Duty is what we do. So you have, you have a belief, you have behavior, you have learning, you have living, you have didactic, you have practical. And doctrine is very important. I don't think anybody here would say all oh, doctrine doesn't matter. Uh, whenever people um, join our church, one of the things they are interested in is our doctrine. Now, everybody's interested in a different doctrine, but they want to know something about doctrine. Maybe they have read our doctrinal statement or they've come to church long enough to get the gist of what we believe. But oftentimes when I interview people, they have certain questions about certain doctrines. Sometimes they have studied and there is doctrines that are very near and dear to their heart. That's what they're going to ask about. Sometimes they haven't studied. They don't really know doctrine, don't really know what they believe, to be honest with you. And so they don't have any specific questions. But you wouldn't join a church without knowing the basic doctrine of that church. Maybe your doctrine is the King James Bible. Maybe, maybe it's the pre-trib rapture. Maybe it's the gap theory. I, I don't know. But everybody's got a doctrine that is really, really important to them. That's why we have a doctrinal statement. It's on our website. I don't want anybody to come to our church under false pretenses. I'm not trying to hide what we believe. And our doctrinal statement is not everything that we believe, but it is representative. It is the core cardinal doctrines that we believe. But our real doctrinal statement is in the Bible. The one that we wrote is very fallible, but the one that God wrote is infallible. But what exactly is doctrine? doctrine? Because some churches say that we shouldn't emphasize doctrine because doctrine is Divisive. We all should just love Jesus and don't preach those heavy truths and don't separate over these kind of doctrinal matters. I'll never forget a few years ago, I was driving out to Jay uh, sometime around Easter. And I saw where, and, and I don't remember the church, but I saw where a Baptist church at a Methodist church were having a joint Easter sunrise service. You know, there's a lot of difference between the doctrine of a Methodist church and the doctrine of a Baptist church, but evidently those two churches didn't care because we certainly can't deprive our children of an egg hunt, and so they set aside doctrine that divides them in order to come together for an Easter sunrise service. There's a difference between doctrine and duty, what you believe and how you behave. But I wonder if there is not as big a difference between doctrine and duty as we think. Because what happens is we draw these artificial lines. We come up with these man-made definitions. And I, I'm not sure that all of our man-made definitions align up really with the Bible. 
And when we say that doctrine and duty, doctrine and duty, are we saying that they are two different things? We know that there is knowledge, something in your head. We know that there is living. We know that there is doctrine and there is theology. But, but I believe that the doctrine is the duty. I don't believe it's two different things. I believe it is the same thing. Doctrine is not just something in our head. Doctrine is something in our life. I just read it to you. The phrase sound doctrine, sound doctrine, that phrase is found four times in the Bible. And I think we all would say that we want to be sound in our doctrine. We believe the book. We believe everything in it. We are biblicists. We are Bible believers. But in all four references to sound doctrine, it is not something that we believe. Sound doctrine is not, it is not intellectual. It is not dogmatic. It is not didactic. It is not knowledge. But sound doctrine, according to the Bible, is practical. Sound doctrine is not believing the right things. It is living the right way. I think you've got to be careful in separating the two. It is not just that doctrine influences our duty. Listen, it is that doctrine is our duty. I just read it to you. I have knocked over the years. I have knocked on hundreds of doors in this area. I have heard every excuse possible for why people don't go to church. And do you know, I, I have never heard somebody say, I used to go to church, but the preacher didn't preach enough on the rapture. <laughs> I, I, I used to go to church, but, but I quit because they didn't believe the right thing about baptism. I've never heard that. Here's what I have heard. I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. One of their members owes me some money and wouldn't pay me. Their pastor had an affair. I have heard that. And what makes it so hard in, in an area like ours to witness to people is not, is not that people don't believe in, 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 in the deity of Christ, but it's that there are so many church people who say that they believe in the deity of Christ, but they don't live like church people ought to live. We are, we are plagued with an abundance of correct doctrine and incorrect living. And we have an abundance of knowledge in our head, but a deficiency of sound doctrine in our lives. And you can quote Bible verses all day long, but if those verses don't ever leave your head and get in your hand and in your feet and in your mouth and in your ears, then it's absolutely worthless. Usually when somebody wants to talk about sound doctrine. They want to argue about Nebuchadnezzar's image or, or let's talk about Daniel's 70 weeks and, and, and let's make sure that you're straight on kingdom of God versus kingdom of heaven. Are they one or are they the same? Old Testament, New Testament. But, but none of that actually has to do with sound doctrine. At least not how the way sound doctrine is defined in the Bible. Look at, look at 1 Timothy 1. Look at it. But back up to verse number 8. Paul says, you know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the godly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, 
for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. Watch this. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, here's a whole list of things that we ought not do, not believe, ought not do. And Paul said they are contrary to sound doctrine. What is it that is contrary to sound doctrine? Well, he didn't say anything about pre-tib or post-trib. He didn't say anything about post-meal or ah-meal or pre-meal. There is nothing in this passage about speaking in tongues or, 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 or the faith healing movement, none of that. No, these wicked, perverse, ungodly things that men do. God said that is contrary to sound doctrine. Wrong living is contrary to sound doctrine. Do you see that? Wrong living contrary to sound doctrine. Look, look at the list here. We'll just run in a couple of these. Let's pick up some of them that we don't do. Um, uh, murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers. Any manslayers in here tonight, by the way? Well, we got that one down. Manslayers. That, that feels good, doesn't it? Man, we can preach on manslayers all night long. Huh? I might even get you to shout. Huh? He mentions right before that the unholy and profane. Taking God's name in vain, using vile language. Swearing, cursing, backbiting, gossip, evil communications. And it's interesting, God puts that right next to murderers. Huh? You, you see that? Maybe we ought to go back and talk about manslayers and camp out on the manslayers a little bit, huh? You don't know anything about sound doctrine if you have a dirty mouth. Amen. Excuse my French. It's not French. It's evil communication is what it is. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, in verse number 10, for whoremongers. I hope we don't have any of those in this church. I really do. Oh, I'd, 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 I'd never, I'd never, I'd never get a prostitute. I'd, I'd, I'd never visit a whorehouse or, oh, no, I'd never. Done. Well, how about those videos you watch? Those TV shows that you watch? How about that website you keep going back to? Are we okay? Huh? You, you, you may not be a whoremonger, but you like to watch whoremongers. Just checking out our sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Uh, he says, um, men stealers. Preacher, you can preach on kidnapping all day long. Do a series on it. Huh? Hey, no, men stealers. Oh, that, oh that's fine. Uh, for liars. Do you pledge to do something? Promise you'd pay so much? Huh? That brother Mike Conley, he worked on my lawnmower uh, this week, got my lawnmower fixed. And I went by and picked up and said, how much? Oh, yeah, I don't owe you. He said, don't owe you anything. You, you don't owe me anything. No, no, it was just a little thing. I said, no, I'll, I'm going to pay you. I said, give you some money Sunday. Give you some money Sunday. This morning at 9 o'clock, morning, 9 o'clock, I have a little, I, I put it on my calendar, and it popped up in my little calendar, pay Mike Conley. And I didn't have cash. So I went out and got the cash. And I paid him. He didn't expect nothing. He didn't expect nothing. But I said that I would pay you on Sunday. Amen. 
What's the use? What's the use of waving a King James Bible if we're not going to do what's in the King James Bible? Liars, um, perjured persons. You couldn't pay me to get on a stand and be a false witness and to perjure myself. Well, that's fine. Did you do it on your tax return? I mean, I mean, if you do it on that, you do it on a witness stand. Huh? Yeah. You see, there are some things that are contrary to sound doctrine. And you may not have it all figured out on dispensational salvation. But what's really important is do you have it figured out on present sanctification? Anybody can say, I believe in Jesus and I believe in the Bible. But does your life mirror that? We've been bought with a price and we are not our own. And our life is to exemplify holiness. So is there anything in your life that is contrary to sound doctrine? Do you see? It's not just what you believe. It's how you live. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 in verse number 1. <clears throat> but speak thou the things which become sound Doctrine. Now, if you will notice, a little grammar, if you will notice that at the end of verse 1, there is a colon, two dots on top of each other. That's telling you the sentence is not over. Okay? Verse 2 at the end of that sentence, at the end of verse 2 is a period. So verse 1 and 2 is actually one sentence. It is one complete thought. So in verse 1, he's telling you to speak things which become sound doctrine, colon, Verse 2 is going to tell you what things are sound doctrines. Does that make sense to you? So, so, so maybe Paul is telling, going to tell Titus, um, Titus preached sound doctrines so make sure that everybody knows that Matthew is a Jewish book and, and make sure they know what nationality the Antichrist is going to be. Maybe that's the sound doctrine he's talking about. Huh? Maybe when he says, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, maybe what he's getting ready to say is, Titus, when you preach, make sure they understand the gap of Genesis 1 and 1 and 2 and make sure they know that the sons of God, make sure they know who they are and, and, and make sure that they understand what fruit it was that were forbidden in the Garden of Eden. Maybe that's the all-important doctrine that he's talking about. Hmm? Well, well, let's just look at it. Look at verse 2. Here, here's the sound doctrine he's talking about. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity. I wish the verse stopped right there. In patience. The sound doctrine that he's exhorting Titus to preach is not kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It's not, it's not that. No, it's tell men to have a right mind and keep their emotions in check and keep your spirit under control and have some faith and deal with some charity and be patient one to another. That's the sound doctrine he's talking about. Lest you ladies feel left out, he, he helps you with verse number three. That age of women likewise. That they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient unto their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Well, that'd be a great verse for a ladies' Bible study. Huh? That's the popular thing now, right? 
Get a Bible study from, you know, Beth Moore or Paula White or Joyce Myers or some other heretic. Well, let's see what they say about those verses right there. Amen. Never mind, you can't find one woman preacher in the Bible. Not, not a one. Southern Baptists are splitting over this. They're splitting over this. Whether we can have women pastors or not. Well, here's some good sound doctrine for you. If, you. if you like sound doctrine, here it is for you. Yeah. Amen. That the age of women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. I don't care what you believe about infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism and, 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 and Calvary and after. I don't care what you believe about that. What do you believe about behaving in holy manner? Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, you would think that would just come natural, wouldn't you? You would think that you wouldn't have to teach that. But we live in a world that is so self-centered and so self-conceited. We don't know how to love anybody else. We love ourselves so much. I mean, I mean, every voice out there is saying, love yourself and make yourself happy and, 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 and you're the one that's all important. And so we have to teach men to love their wives and wives to love their husbands and, and parents to love their children and children to love their parents because all that we have been taught is just to love ourselves. Love ourselves. I might as well just read the, read the rest of it. Verse 5, to be discreet. Discreet. You know what that means? It means you don't have to tell everything. And you don't have to show everything. I, feel, I, I felt like preaching, but you don't feel like hearing that. I wish we had some Bible believers in here tonight. To be discreet. Quit putting everything on Facebook. Reserve some privacy for yourself. Amen. Amen. Is there anything that indicates our culture more than selfies? Amen. Here's a picture of me down at the beach, and here's a picture of me driving the car, and here's a picture of me at my restaurant, and here's a picture of the hamburger that I had for lunch. And now all of us can be our own little star and our own little movie because we all have an iPhone and now we all get to be our own little star. Hey, let me help you with something. Leave yourself with some secrets. Have some privacy. Amen. You don't need to tell everything and you don't need to show everything. Amen. To be discreet. I'm talking about sound doctrine. That's what I'm talking about. All right. To be discreet. Chaste. Chaste. I mean, we have sex education in kindergarten, and we have 13-year-old girls on birth control pills. Well, preacher, my girl was such a good girl. I, I don't know where she learned so much about sex education. Had to have a boyfriend when she was 11. I'll tell you where she learned it. ABC and NBC and CB. Come on now. That, that's where she learned it. What about a little chastity? Amen. To be discreet, chaste. Now, I'm just reading the Bible. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. You understand? All right. To be discreet, chase keepers at home. 
Now you do what you want to. Like I say, I'm just reading the Bible. And I'm not intending to give a play by play of all of these verses here. But I'm going to tell you what God's ideal is. God's ideal for ladies is for you to be a keeper at home. Well, you're a male chauvinist. You just want me to be a slave at home. You just think we women ought to be pregnant and barefoot and either in the kitchen or in the laundry room and folding underwear and, and, and I ought to just stay home and fix dinner and clean the house. Well, let me give you a better idea, okay? Now, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm helping you is what I'm doing, okay? I really am. So here's the, that's the idea. That, that's so outdated. That ain't going to work. So here's the better idea. Get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Get yourself and the kids ready. And then drop your kids off at the daycare center and spend 30 minutes fighting traffic to get to a workplace where you can have somebody besides your husband holler at you and tell you everything that you need to do and around dirty jokes and, and flirting and all of that and then fight the traffic at the end of the day to get back home so that you can then clean the house and fix it. Amen. See, see how our ideas, our ideas are so much better than God's ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm just... Let, let, let me move on. Oh, move on, move on. Preacher, move. <laughs> to be discreet, chase keepers at home, good. We have to teach a younger generation how to be good. Yeah. Yeah. It it's not good for you to have a boyfriend if you're married. Right. It's not good for you to have a girlfriend if you're married. Right. It's not good for you to contact an old girlfriend if you're married. Right. It's not good for you to contact an old boyfriend if you're married. Yeah. Amen. It's not good to be drunk and it's not good to steal and cheat and lie. It's just not good. Here's what I'm trying to tell you is that Titus chapter 2 is giving you sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. He does not say anything in this chapter about the five points of Calvinist and are we covenant theology or are we reformed or are we dispensation. He doesn't say anything about that. And, 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 and you can put a Bible verse on your Facebook page every day and then a picture of you in a bathing suit and you're a blasphemer is what you are. Amen. Come to church and sing in the choir on Sunday. Listen to Taylor Swift on Monday on your playlist. You're a blasphemer is what you are. Amen. Amen. Somebody help me a little bit. Feel like preaching. Feel like preaching just a little bit. You, you, you can come to church and enjoy worship and go home and watch Dancing with the Stars. You're a blasphemer is what you are. And the world mocks Christ because they see us mocking Christ. So you go ask your coworker. What is, his, what, is, what is his position on immersion, sprinkling, or pouring? What does he believe? He don't have an opinion on it. And you ask him tomorrow, what do you think about the apostolic signs? Do you think that, or, 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 do you think that, they, that they have been done away with, or do you think that they continue? And he doesn't care. But ask him what's his opinion about a woman who claims to be a Christian but tears up homes. He has an opinion on that. And ask him his opinion about the man that says he's a Christian, but he laughs and tells dirty jokes and cusses on the job. He has an opinion on that. And your neighbor, your neighbor does not care whether you subscribe to the London Baptist Confession of Faith or the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Philadelphia Confession of Faith. He does not care. But he does care whether you're a good neighbor and how you treat your wife and how many times that the cops are called for domestic abuse at your house. He does care about that. That's the indication of your Christianity. And, and there, there is a town full of people who used to go to church, who used to say that they were Christian, who used to witness to their neighbors, but now they don't even pretend that they are Christians anymore. And we say, well, well, it must be they got confused on, on Matthew 13, the kingdom parable. Somebody misapplied that that must be what it was. No, no, that's not what it is. Is they saw the life of somebody that said that they were Christian, but their life did not display sound doctrine. 
is talking about. Look, look, come back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. I'll find a landing spot. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who should judge the quick and the dead are disappearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I've been here for almost 30 years. We've had a lot of people come and a lot of people go. As far as I know, I've had two people leave because of doctrine. Specific doctrine. I had a Cracker Jack in here one time that wanted to convert us all to the NIV. Didn't go very well. And years and years ago, when I was just first starting out, I preached one of my first series of sermons through the book of James. The book of James. Doing fine though, I got to about chapter three and figured out I was way in over my head. But I preached a series through the book of James and I applied it to the church. And everybody knows that James is a tribulational epistle and it applies doctrinally to the tribulation. It has nothing to do with you now. If you can read the sarcasm in that. And I had a man here leave because I applied James to us. And that's the only two doctrinal issues that I can remember that people left over. But I'm going to tell you, we have had a lot of people leaving because of preaching like this tonight. We've offended a whole lot of people on sound doctrine. They didn't get their dander stirred up because of the Pauline epistles and the general epistles. That didn't really mess them up. But start preaching on modesty. That is sound doctrine, by the way. Listen, I have watched people that believe a King James Bible as strongly as I believe it leave and go to a church that does not preach the King James Bible, but they don't have to endure sound doctrine on holiness. Amen. Preacher, the Lord's leading us to go to another church. We're just not being fed here. No, the problem is somebody in the house is not enduring sound doctrine. Somebody is sick of holiness and dress right and quit going to the movies and quitting your cussing. That's that's what's wrong with somebody. And so verse number four says, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We are watching the millennials leave the Baptist church and go to the reformed church, the thrive church, the potential church. You are all that church, whatever it might be. They have no discernment. They have no love for truth. They have no conviction. They just know I got to get away from a preacher that's preaching all of that sound doctrine. Come, come back to Titus 1. Are we okay? Look at Titus 1. Look at verse number 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete. That thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Sound doctrine. Now everybody here knows we would not have a preacher that does not believe in the Trinity, that does not believe in the atonement, that does not believe in the deity of Christ. We would not tolerate a preacher that didn't have his theology straight. That's a given. 
But we shouldn't tolerate a preacher that doesn't have his home straight. Doesn't have his marriage right. Doesn't have his children in order. Not an angry man. Not losing his temper. Not greedy. Ought to be sober. Ought to have his holiness. Would you agree with that? that? And the way that a preacher lives is important to what he preaches. Why? That he may be able, watch this, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. What's the sound doctrine that convinces? It's not the imprecatory psalms. Okay? It's not whether you have the proper application of Song of Solomon. That's not what convinces the gainsayer. The sound doctrine that convinces the gainsayer is all of these things in verse 6, 7, and 8. It is the life that he lives. How am I going to convince you of Christianity if I don't have any Christianity in my home? How am I going to convince you of Christianity if I don't have any Christianity in my finances? How am I going to convince you of Christianity if my home is a mess? And I'm trying to say to you tonight that it does matter how you live. It matters to your family. It matters to your neighbor. It matters to the people that you work with. And the world doesn't care about your theology. Doesn't care whether it's dogmatic theology or systematic theology or biblical theology or historical theology. The man on the street, he doesn't know anything about that. But if you say that you're a Christian, he has an expectation of how you ought to live. He doesn't know a thimble full of the Bible. But he knows that if you say you are saved and you still drink, he knows that's not in the Bible. He don't know, he don't know one Bible verse. He couldn't quote you John 3, 16. But he knows that if you say you are saved and your language is as filthy as his, he knows that ain't in the Bible. He may not know anything that's in the Bible. He knows no Bible that's in the Bible, but he knows the Bible that's supposed to be in your life. That's why David said in Psalm 119, he said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We like to say that the Bible will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the Bible. Not exactly true because I've known a whole lot of people that had a lot of Bible in their head and a lot of sin in their life. Right? To give you the opportunity to live above sin, but carrying the King James Bible does not guarantee your holiness. You've known Christians that read their Bible every day and had a heart full of malice. I used to hear a woman here, she's here for a long time. I used to hear her talk about her daughter that was out of church. Here's what she say. I know she's away from the Lord and I know she's not doing right. I know she's shacking up with a guy that's not her husband, but at least she's reading her Bible every day. Yes, she had her dispensations down, but she didn't have morality down. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I'm, 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 I'm landing the plane. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Look at Matthew 5.22. I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Verse 28. I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the, or, or verse 28, I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Look at verse 32. I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Look at verse number 47. Verse 47, uh, verse 44. 
Verse 44, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Look over here, chapter 6 and verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look at chapter, look, look at verse number 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things should be added unto you. Look at chapter 7 and verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Boy, how would you like if we had to live by all of that? Huh? Well, look at, look at verse number 28. Look, look at it. At the end of the sermon, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. What doctrine? You just read it. Don't lust after women. Don't divorce your wife. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't condemn people for things that you do. Uh, you know what we like? We like the chart of 20 things that's wrong with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And the 20 things that's wrong with the Mormons. Here's the 20 heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. You know what we probably ought to do is we probably ought to have a chart of the 20 things that's wrong with the Baptist Church. Oh, we have series on the cause. So let's have a series and let's teach on all of the things that the Roman Catholic Church is wrong on. Let's have a series and let's teach on, on, on the cult of the Mormon church and all of the things that are, and they're wrong on a whole lot of things. Why don't we have a series on all the things that we're wrong on? Right. Yeah. Right. Amen. That'd probably do us a whole lot better. Don't you think it would be? Right. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I, I'm, I'm done. Almost. Mark 11 verse 17 he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves? The scribes and chief priests heard and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. That's good doctrine. Don't rip people off, pray in God's house. How to behave in God's house. Oh, preacher, tell me about Job. Is he a type of Israel in the tribulation? Tell me, tell me about that. Well, can somebody can somebody explain to me Bible numerology and 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 and, and what does the big toe on Daniel's image in Daniel two? What, what what does that mean? What do you think that is? And in Daniel chapter eleven, that that what, what do you think that image is? Good, I mentioned this morning seventy bullocks on the day of a, the feast of tabernacles. I've had several people. But what, what, what's the significance of them seventy bullocks? What, what, what's on them seventy bullocks? Preacher, can you explain the deep mysteries? I don't even know if I know what all of that means, but this is good doctrine. Good doctrine. One more, one more, one more. Romans 6, Romans 6, Romans 6. Got this new Bible and I, it's almost like they moved the books around trying to find them. Romans 6, 16, know you not that to whom you use yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. If your doctrine, your doctrine hasn't set you free from sin and produced some righteousness in you, you have the wrong doctrine. It may be theologically correct, but it is not sound doctrine. 
If you offer a man a gospel track and he turns you down, it will not be because he heard some preacher get it wrong on baptism. It will be because he knew some preacher that cheated somebody, ran out of town, left his wife. If you had somebody a gospel track and he turns you down, it will not be because he's heard some preacher preach on storehouse tithing, his Old Testament, his New Testament, no. It will be because there was some Christian that went to church but cussed him out and cheated him out of something. We want to argue with the skeptic and the agnostic and we want to twist him into a theological pretzel and show him how smart we are. But the greatest influence that you have on this world, your family, your neighbor, is not how theologically sound you are and nobody's going to walk out of here and say that I don't think that doctrine is important. That's not the message. But the influence of our lives is not in your argument. It's in your living. Your lost neighbor doesn't care how many verses you know. Your lost neighbor doesn't care whether you're pre-tib or post-trib. He wants to know how many verses are you living. And I tell you what, there needs to be in America, there needs to be a revival of holiness in our churches. So I ask you tonight, how is your sound, Dr. Anna? Come if you would. You knowing who Leviathan is in the book of Job, that's not going to help your neighbor. You know who those great nations are in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. That's not going to help you love your wife. Talk about the deep things of God, all that you want to. And I, I'm all for that. But that, how's that helping you with your temper, your anger, your bitterness? That sound doctrine has about eyes closed tonight. Lord speaks to your heart tonight. Why don't you just come, gather around the altar. Head full of knowledge. We got the theology down. We are theologically sound. We'll keep preaching doctrine. But doctrine is not just in the head. Doctrine is in the life. It's in the life. Is your life full of sound doctrine? Sound doctrine.